Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Make It Rain, hosted by me, Josh Smith. I'm a journalist and presenter, and I've been lucky enough to sit down and have unfiltered conversations with some truly incredible people. I know from my own personal experiences how powerful talking and crucially listening to others is. And without a doubt, my life has been changed by the people I've spoken to over the years, some of whom you'll hear from in this very series. I am so excited to invite you to join me each week to meet amazing queens who have overcome challenges in their own lives. They're open up about their journey they've been on to harness their power and wear their crowns with pride. I really hope you'll feel empowered to own your own story and make it rain in your own lives too. In this episode of Make It Rain, we are joined by Derry Girls and Bridgerton babe, Nicola Coughlin. Now, Nicola's road to Netflix stardom has not been without its challenges. She was forced to move back home to Ireland from London and she was working in opticians before she saw a casting call on Twitter for the play Jess and Joe Forever. She won the title role of Jess and soon landed her role in Channel 4 comedy Derry Girls, which I was obsessed with. During our chat, Nicola talks candidly about what success and failure means to her, allyship and that Penelope Featherington Bridgerton plot twist. There is so much amazing wisdom about defining success on your own terms, and I'm so excited for you queens to hear it. So crowns at the ready! Well, hello, babe. Hello, love. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I mean, yours is just such a lovely face to see at the beginning of 2021. It's that lovely smile. I was going to say that right back to you because, to be honest, I first found love for you when I saw you in Derry Girls as the wee lesbian Claire. And I was just like, that is just like galaxy (laughs) in my ear when you use that accent. (laughs) What do you think? Like that role was so amazing for you and it kind of projected you on this journey that you're Mm -hmm. now on, right? But what did that role teach you about the idea of sisterhood? Because the sisterhood on that set is so amazing, Mm -hmm. isn't it? What did it teach you about that concept? Well, it bounced off the script straight away. It's like you get a script like that. I'd never seen young girls written that way in a way that they could be so outspoken and so 
supportive of each other but at the same time we're complicated and you know in some ways unlikable could you know do things that you kind of go oh Jesus and I found that really refreshing and then being in that group of the five of us is a really special thing because I Mm. think you know the relationship you have with other actors is what makes the work you know that way that you can bounce off one another but to be in a group of five and have that the ability to sort of you know have a tandem with one another and bounce the ball back and forth that's a really rare thing so it was very special and I think all having like all those female characters written so distinctively Mm. and it's just yeah it's just a very special thing I love the show so so much I actually was re-watching it with my mum last night I hadn't seen it for quite a while and my mum was like it's playing on E4 and sometimes I'm like not in the mood to watch myself and I'm like but last night I thought go on I will and I was watching going this is brilliant this is so funny (laughs) I was probably cracked up I was like this is a great bloody show (laughs) it's good you can laugh at yourself babe I think that's good enjoy your performance it takes time I mean the the first time I ever watched myself in anything it's like painful I'm like oh why did I do that okay if I could go back I would make this different acting choice and uh, and then I have to like get over myself and then I can enjoy the full show Mm. what do you think that role also taught you about the concept of allyship as well from playing a queer mm-hmm. character I guess what did that teach you would you say because you're very much an ally in your own right mm-hmm. anyway but what did it kind of like more compound about the idea it felt incredibly important to I think if you're ever you know taking on a role as you know a gay character mm-hmm. I didn't want to take it and knowing what you know the representation means to people and you know people seeing themselves reflected on screen I didn't want to take that and not sort of do anything with it if that makes sense so I kind of was like I feel like I need to be like a a pointedly active ally within Northern Ireland because I'm from the Republic of Ireland and Mm. I you know did campaigning for you know marriage equality and things like that at home but then in Northern Ireland you know at the time we were filming season one you know equal marriage was not a reality in Northern Ireland and I went to like a queer arts festival in Belfast and they were talking about how you know, queer people there are still treated like second-class citizens. So um, I made a point to visit this charity called The Rainbow Project and, you know, sit down and say, like, what's the situation like here and how do you find it? And, you know, and thinking about, you know, Claire Devlin still couldn't have gotten married in Northern Ireland up until last year, which is awful. Mm. And then meeting, um, you know, members of the trans community in Northern Ireland and talking to them about, you know, how they're represented in the media and how people you know speak about them and you know I think in those situations like having understanding and opening up your mind and going like I don't know this but can you tell me you're the expert and just saying I'm here for you and I'll stand with you that felt very important to me to to do that. What kind of stories did you hear that really stuck with you during that experience? Oh um I think one thing that really stuck with me is just you know everyone is just a person trying to live their own life everyone's just Mm. trying to live their truth and do what they can do and how much you know I feel like as human beings it's interesting because we've 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 just taken to social media we've just you know we act like social media has just been our way of life always it hasn't been you know and I'm totally guilty of it and then I spend all the time scrolling on Instagram or whatever but seeing how much you know hate can amplify on social media and how much you know when one loud voice and one recognizable voice can say a negative thing how much impact that has on people's real lives and how they mm. are treated by other people because you know I think especially Twitter that's a medium in which you're, you're publishing things you've put that out there and that is attributed to you and you know there's a paper trail of what you said and you need to be super careful 
the the impact that can have on somebody and i think mm. when you when you sit down face to face with someone and say what you know what's going on and how does this feel you know it just i think we should all have more empathy you know in, in general in life but when you see these things can really hurt people and make their lives day to day harder to live mm. that just yeah that that just really stuck with me so whenever i see people sort of yeah saying stuff online i think no you don't know that's affecting a real human being not mm. just one many yeah and i mean i just don't understand how we aren't all just living lives as empathetic people that's 100%, what I, yeah. the concept is just so simple like just empathize with someone else's situation if it doesn't affect you then just move on like literally i've never understood that need to take people down in any respect no and i think it shows a certain closed-mindedness and i think the Mm. more people that you meet and encounter in your life the more empathy you will have and i think we have to learn to challenge our you know everyone grows up with a certain set of ideals and morals or what have you but I think we can't remain within that bubble we have to open ourselves out like even I suppose this year with you know Black Lives Matter and all of this I grew up in a super white country not knowing Mm -hmm. so much about black culture and you know partly for years I would go well you know I never you know I've never said anything negative and I've never you know you know and I would be open to everything with anything but that is that enough it's not really enough it's about knowing struggles that people go through and seeing what they face and I think you know I hope I think in life we we should never really stop learning or stop you know and situations change and this year's brought that into such stark reality Mm. of what people are going through so I think yeah the more empathy we can have and the more that we take responsibility for opening our minds and being understanding the better off we will be really Mm. And I think we've all had that moment of sitting with ourselves in the last year, right? Where you actually have to sit with yourself and you're like, who am I as a person? Is this part of me actually something I need Mm -hmm. to get rid of? Like having that introspection has been kind of amazing, hasn't it, in some ways? That's kind of one of the positives to come out of this situation. What have you learned from sitting with yourself, do you think? Oh gosh, at the beginning, I found lockdown really tough because I like to be busy. I'm like the same as mm. you. We're like busy queens. We're like, let's go, go, go. We'll do this, this, this. And yeah. then when that stops, you go like, oh God, okay. Uh, what, you know, what am I when I'm not working? And what am I when I'm not? And I think I've been quite lucky. And I've been lucky in the sense that like, I've been healthy and my family have been healthy. And that's, you know, primarily important above anything else this year because, mm people have gone through absolute hell it's just unfathomable what some people have had to deal with so I consider myself one of the very very lucky ones but um I've been yeah I've been lucky in that you know Bridgerton was the filming was super super busy and we were on the road a lot and we filmed in these stunning houses but it it involved a lot of traveling and a lot of being away from my family so I had the privilege of being around my family a lot this last year which you know I normally wouldn't do because I kind of you know, as an actor, you're a freelancer and a lot of people don't think of it like that, but you are. Yeah. So you don't you don't know, you know, when your next job will be, where it will take you. So I think I just had to say to myself, like, take this time and appreciate that you can spend it with your family and, mm. you know, just try and, yeah, count yourself lucky. Not that I didn't have days where I was like a little whingy baby. Of course I did, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. I tried to like balance that out. Yeah, you got to balance <laughs> being grateful with a whingy baby. Like, it's yeah, yeah, be, yeah. It's- it's, it's going to be a know. discussion between the two. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, babe, yeah. Like, I mean, everyone has fallen in love with you as Plan P. Fabrington oh. in Bridgerton. And drum roll, please. 
it's been watched by more than 63 million households <laughs> in the first 28 days and oh. it's making it Netflix's fifth biggest original series launch of all time and the facts are still coming babe Bridgerton has reached number one <laughs> overall in 76 countries including US, UK, Brazil, France and South Africa babe yeah. how mad <clears throat> it's mad are stats how's that been how's it been navigating that success I mean it's 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 truly bizarre because I think I you know come from having to hustle in this industry to kind of get noticed and having you know doing fringe plays where you're like mm. you know is anyone going to come see it and if you know you get more than 20 people in the audience it's a big success because you worked your ass off for it yeah so I think I I very much still live in that mentality in a way so like before Bridgerton came out I knew it was going out on the biggest streaming service in the world on Christmas day but there was still the part of me that went is anyone going to watch this and what I need to get people to watch it and I need to like <laughs> I just had that so on Christmas day I was like no one has watched this no one will watch this show like I just fully like had a moment where I was like it's fine it's fine it's fine I've dedicated a year and a half of my life to it and I know hundreds of people put in you know so many you know months of their life into it but it's fine no one will watch it and I've just accepted that and then you know on we call Boxing Day Stephen's Day in Ireland so on Stephen's yeah. Day then it just sort of started taking off and you know people were sending me messages being like it's number one yeah in South Africa it's number one in Canada it's number one in India it's number one and then I started you know people were sending them to me so I started just compiling a list on Twitter just sort of just trying because it's so intangible I suppose at the moment because you know we're in full lockdown here so it's literally like everything is just I'm stuck at home with my mom not doing anything so when people would send me those messages you're going okay I, I guess people are watching it in in you know Pakistan okay I get uh. <laughs> but it's it, it, it I don't know yeah it's strange and I've been talking to some of um my other castmates like Phoebe Dinover who's just such a doll oh, and a sweetheart a yeah she is and uh, you know I'm so thrilled for like so many of the other people involved in the show and Phoebe she just handle that role with such grace and Mm. she's just yeah she's such a true professional and but yeah talking to them and I'm going what's going on like this is mad (laughs) isn't it like these numbers like 63 million like it doesn't make any sense to me I think yeah you know I get that it's a number but I don't think I could even write it like I'm like what I mean it gives us everything from balls to gossip to julie andrews to costume drama mm-hmm. i mean it's everything what for you was the biggest pinch me moment on set would you say the pinch me moments were 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 daily they were just like many many things from first being cast i mean when the script sort of came through to my agent i had been sort of it was a period of a lot of rejection which is totally mm. normal can i just put that out there because i think en- not enough actors talk about that and go yeah, I was rejected for a bunch of jobs. That is totally par for the course. We shouldn't pretend that it's not. Yeah. But I mean, there was a point that I was feeling super sorry for myself and going, well, I'll never work again then. That's fine. That's fine. I'll give up on my dreams and it's fine. And I'll have to go back and work in retail. And I did already worked in retail for many years. So I shouldn't have to go back and all of these things. And then my agent said, you know, Shondaland are making a show with Netflix. So for me, I was like, well, that's going to be a massive deal, obviously. But I thought yeah. that audition process is going to be awful surely it's going to be awful because you know it's American you hear about you know executives and this and you know 
going in and out and chemistry reading with people and I thought oh god okay and I thought well, what happened is I'll do one audition I'll never hear back so I did one audition um with the casting assistant Cole Edwards and the tape went off to America and I thought okay bye to that forever and then I got a call two weeks later offering me the part and I went whoa 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 and <laughs> sort of couldn't really take it in and I thought how uh, how why and then you know I met finally met our showrunner Chris Van Dusen and I said to him like in a nice way but what were you thinking I <laughs> really like it's you know when, you, when you've never met someone I haven't read with anybody I haven't you know just just wondered why and he said well your tape came in and Shonda and I sat down and she turned to me and said well it has to be her and I mean stop we, it Shonda yeah. runs her rather when it has to be her yeah ah! and I just sort of went uh um so that was probably like the a, a huge one and then Julie Andrews obviously had a full meltdown when I found that out that was another one you know thing I'm yeah. going to be in a show with Julie Andrews oh my god um <laughs> I mean going in you know for the costume fittings and realizing this wasn't you know your local Amdram production you know the costume <laughs> fittings being like four or five hours you know everything was completely couture and there was you know rooms where people were hand embellishing flowers they were dyeing shoes to match dresses and they made 7,500 pieces of costume for this show. Babes, the stats just keep coming. That's how, I mean, God. it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. If we ever get to bring you down to the costume warehouse, it's total fairy tale land. But it's also, you know, being around people at that level of talent, like Ella Mirajnik, who you would just adore our costumes. And she's like proper old New York. Like sometimes you try uh, on a dress and she goes, no, it. I'm sorry. That looks like, that looks like puke. I have to say it. It looks like puke. <laughs> and like, she like, the, be like, I just absolutely loved her so much. And she designed Showgirls and like Maleficent <sighs> and the greatest showman. She's designing Cinderella with Billy Porter as the fairy godparent, which I'm very excited about. Stop Truly it. incredible. But like being around those people and just think you are there's no one better than you at, at, at this. And then walking into the ballrooms with hundreds of supporting artists and actors in these costumes and the music. And oh, there was just many moments of pinch yourself. It just, yeah, oh my they God. kept coming. <laughs> they just kept on coming, honey. And like, <laughs> yeah. Like what I find so interesting about the script in so many ways is it is obviously set in the Regency period, but there's still so mm -hmm. many kind of like hang-ups around patriarchy that we're still having to fight today, right? Hugely. Like for instance... The, the idea that women are made or broken on the marriage market in Bridgerton mm -hmm. is still weirdly infiltrating into the world we still live in, which is still so reductive. Do you still find that very reductive, that kind of like how we view or balance women on their success of their relationships and things like that? A hundred percent. It's funny because I think you know while filming you go oh my gosh this is so archaic and it's so great we don't do this anymore and then you think how is dressing yourself up and going out to a ball to say I'm saying unavailable any different to someone you know dressing up taking pictures and putting them on tinder and saying I'm available it's the same yeah. thing in a different package really mm. um and I think I found especially with the character I play with Penelope and with her best friend Eloise they are young women who are very much ahead of their time but they're totally constrained by the society in which they live in that they can't you know go and study they can't go to university they can't have their own money you know their money is their father's money and then they essentially get sold to their husbands for a dowry then their husband takes control of all of their money you know they're basically baby making machines that's their lot in life but also I think sometimes I come at it from like a really western perspective and I think that's still the case 
in a lot mm. of places in the world, you know? There's so much pressure. The patriarchy, as you said, it not only puts pressure on women, but on the men as well. I think yeah. it's really interestingly explored in the show with, with Johnny Bailey's character, Anthony Bridgerton, how he's mm. expected to be the sort of masculine ideal of, you know, the patriarch, the head of the house, all of this stuff. And he's really uncomfortable with that. And then Benedict Bridgerton, who, you know, also really doesn't conform to that patriarchal ideal and, and really struggles. And I think as much then as now, like who is the patriarchy serving? Who's who's it helping out? Why do we have to adhere to these expectations? Couldn't we just be our own people and <laughs> wouldn't we all be happier? Oh my God, it's so true. And mm-hmm. I mean, with that in mind, Shonda Rhimes is literally the queen of changing the landscape of TV and pushing it in yeah. a new direction. So it's not 100% in the male gaze, it's in the female gaze. 100%. We're getting representation. How amazing was it to actually walk onto that set and actually feel like the world you were stepping onto almost reflected the world that you actually live in today it was phenomenal it was absolutely phenomenal because I think that's the thing that Shondaland have done they've been so revolutionary and I don't think sometimes they get enough credit for it because they've changed the landscape of television mm-hmm. you know when you think back to when Grey's Anatomy started it's nearly like 20 years old and you know them you know having that amount of diversity on screen at that time was really revolutionary and it's sad yeah. that so far it, it's still a revolutionary thing yeah but i think you know shondaland like not just shonda but chris van dusen our showrunner betsy beers all of these people they go why can't we make this world why can't you know it's art we're saying this is the world that could be this is what we're we, what we want to do they're not really afraid to read the rule book and throw it out the window thankfully you know the success of the show has shown that people have a hunger for it there's an appetite there people have you know, it's it's overdue. That's the thing. It's really overdue. But I would love, you know, if we got to continue going on to explore the queer characters more and, you know, explore all different facets of society. But I think, yeah, they're revolutionary in ways that they don't get enough credit for. Because I think, I wonder if a man had done it, they'd be like, what a genius. But Sha- well, Shonda's a known genius, but I feel like she should still get more props for what she does. I mean, she is the definition of a queen, isn't she? A hundred percent. Oh my God. Real. But you know, the, the best things about all the Shondaland people is they are so down to earth. Yeah. They are so down to earth. I mean, I remember I met her in February in LA, but it was funny because I think you think of someone like Shonda Rhimes, like that name, like the most powerful woman in TV. Whoa, 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 whoa. And she sort of came out of her office and she was just super normal, super sweet, <laughs> super friendly. You know, they're just like very no BS Shondaland and they want to work with good people and I think they're just yeah they're just awesome they're just a flipping dream to work for basically (laughs) (laughs) plot spoiler (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. it's the fucking dream yes the dream pretty much yeah (laughs) and like because obviously this podcast is all about being a queen and making it rain (laughs) over your own life which is what (laughs) you do honey but for you who's kind of passed the crown onto you would you say and inspired you the most I mean there's so so many I think a lot of the SNL women were really really inspirational to me like Amy Poehler Tina Fey Maya Rudolph Kristen Wiig like I sort of loved women that pushed boundaries and didn't maybe fit that I never felt like I wanted to be an ingenue I always felt like I wanted to be someone like who was characterful in the way that men were always allowed to be and women were like no you have to sit in this pretty box and do this thing I was like that's just I could never 
do that I remember like trying to audition for like one dimensional girlfriend a in things and I would always do terribly because I think you know probably something in my face just read well this is bullshit (laughs) this is (laughs) this is not a proper part for a woman um and then it's funny because I'm not sure if I've said this to you before but when I was like a little girl I loved like Judy Garland Bette Midler Liza Minnelli you know everyone who I realized was not I was like oh they were the gay icons okay okay I didn't like at, you know at six years old I did not know that but basically I wanted to be a gay icon growing up you know I didn't want to be Cinderella I wanted to be CC Bloom and Beaches like those were the people because they were they were just like strong and funny and strange and that just appealed to me so much more than yeah being a pretty princess I think yeah and I mean you don't get bigger gay icons than Julie Andrews really let's get real I know and babe I just need to plot spoiler here if anyone hasn't watched the end of Bridgerton scroll to the second half because we're gonna have a quick dive into that ending because babe I remember watching Bridgerton when it just (laughs) had green screens in the background and it was like yeah I was obsessed and I remember messaging you being like Oh my God, <laughs> I can't believe this plot twist at the end. And I never saw it coming in the fact that you are actually Lady Whistledown. So that actually technically means you are Julie Andrews. I know. How's that feel? It feels amazing. <laughs> <laughs> because I think, you know, I've said to people, which is true, that I did cry when she got cast, but I couldn't, you know, for a long time say why. I had the extra levels of freak out that I have. I was like, I am Julie Andrews. Judy is me. We are one and the same. And we are, and I am basically Regency Gossip Girl. And what? Oh my God. Because I mean, when I prepared for the audition, I had like, I think one, two days max with just the audition side. So I knew very little. I was like, I know I'm not going to read this whole series of eight books within that two days. Let's just focus on this script. And if I get another audition, then I can do it. But then getting cast so quickly and unexpectedly, I was like, oh, damn, I better read these books and find out what this world is. So I started with book four, which is Penelope's book, and then was reading it. And I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. This is interesting. And then I was like, let's go on fan forums and just see what's going on here. Like, I just want to know a little bit more. And then on a fan forum, I literally read, when Penelope is revealed as Lady Whistledown, and I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Excuse me? Because it's not like, oh, Shondaland have given me this great role in this great show. It's like, they've given me the role in this show. <laughs> oh my God. Like, it was it was insane. And then when I finally met with Chris, I was like, so am I, am I, her, is it me? Am I, is Whistle Down me? Are we, and am I, are we doing that? Is this happening? And he was like, yes, yeah, you are. So it was just, it was major. But it was so funny because it became like a real life secret <laughs> that I've had to keep for like a really long time. You know, and sometimes on set, people were like, I wonder who Whistledown is. And I was like, do you want to know? Do you want to know? I'm going to tell you who it is. I do know who it is. And I love to see people's faces. Now, I need to know, have you discussed it with Julie? Have you had I a wish. discussion? <laughs> oh, my God. So, she, so when we first met, it was like the very beginning of Bridgerton filming. And they kept saying, well, Julie might come to set next month and it might be this so we were all like oh but I think it was like you know when you try and get children to behave be like Santa Claus is coming Santa Claus is coming in a few weeks so you better be good so it just keeps you on your best behavior I think Julie Andrews was our Santa Claus that they were like you know just if you stay well behaved Julie might come but then I think also because we finished filming just at the end of February we were so lucky it was like yeah. just got it in pre-pandemic pretty much so I think we thought we had all the time in the world to, to meet her and like no big deal and then 
now COVID life. And, I, you know, had we had a normal press tour, I think we would have got to meet her, but not yet. I mean, we oh, will thanks. become best friends eventually. It will <laughs> inevitably happen. We're both Lady Whistledown. So it's de- it's destiny. But I can't even like truly, it sounds so silly, but I can't even fathom the fact that she may know who I am. Babe, she's technically playing you. I if know, you think it's... about it that way round. It's, no, it's, it's too much. It's too much to take in. It's too much. Well, while we take that in, we're going to yes. go to an ad break, babes. And when Perfect. we come back, we'll be talking more about your journey to our screens, honey. <laughs> so enjoy the ad break and we'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to Make It Rain. We're joined by the Derry Girls and Bridgerton Queen. It's Nicola Coughlin. Oh, hello again. <laughs> now, babe, I want to know, have you been able to watch Bridgerton with your mum? Because let's just say there's a lot of riding in it, isn't there? Have you been able to cope with oh. that? <laughs> no. I mean, fair play to people that are like, you know, totally cool and their parents are like I don't care I can watch whatever I am not that person yeah <laughs> I mean just bearing in mind I was in a show called Harlots which my mum has never seen <laughs> I just was like you just need to know I was in it and let that be enough for you yeah um mm-hmm. no there was basically I, I I had watched the series many times before it came out because I yeah. got obsessed with it and I was like I need to watch and watch and watch and then so I knew pretty well the you know how the episodes went and levels of sexiness <laughs> therein. When I showed her the first episode and Johnny Bailey's bum arrives quite quickly into episode one, she oh, he's told me off really it. badly. She was like, what's going on? I mean, yeah, no problem. It just right out there. And I had to be like, it's not my fault. I didn't write it. And I was like, the romance novels, also it's a really important part of the story. And then, but I was still in trouble. So then I kept going, oh my God, episode six, episode six, episode six is just nonstop shagging. What am I going to do? I'm in trouble. I said shagging on the Graham Norton show. And I was like, I'm dead. I'm absolutely dead that I said that. <laughs> I was literally like sweating when I watched back. I was like, I'm so dead. Um, also she's like in her 70s but she's now got a smartphone so it means that she watches every inch you have ever done in my life so if I say one naughty thing I'm dead um so basically I invited my sister over and I was like we'll watch I think we had three episodes to left to watch um so we had six seven and eight and I was like what we'll do I'll cook be cooking dinner you come with me we'll put on episode six for her we'll let her watch it on her own that's the awkwardness out of the way and then we can go in and watch seven and eight and there's like a little bit but it, it's not as intense as six so we'll be fine and um, she just refused to go and she was like I need to do this tidying up now I need to do tidying up and we were like just go and sit down and watch it and it just wouldn't happen and there was just constant back and forth so then we went in to watch episode six and my sister was sort of sat on the chair beside me and she just kept going like <laughs> like and whenever anything <laughs> awkward happened so basically what I ended up doing was just and I kept saying to her mom this is too sexy I don't want to watch it with you like I just don't want to so I started just fast forwarding <laughs> through all the sexy bits um and then um at the end of the episode she was like that one was very short (laughs) (laughs) so she's not following the duke spoon account then (laughs) the duke spoon oh well i have to say she's a prince friedrich stan she just like has very specific ideas about who she likes and she was like now that prince is a much better choice than that duke and i was like realistically he probably is like the duke needs to go to therapy no shame but he's got to sort out what what's going on with him and yeah. prince friedrich is like a solid stand-up dude so but yeah she kept going i think daphne's definitely going to marry the prince and i was like sure <laughs> <laughs> 
I can't so pretend hard. that I'm not in this show and I don't know exactly what happens. But, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Your mum just saw the crown jewels, didn't she? And she was like, I see why she should go for the prince. <laughs> no, she kept going on about his lovely, um, his lovely kiss curl. <laughs> She's like, isn't she lovely, that prince? Yeah. And she said, if we get season two, she was like, you tell Chris, because she met our showrunner on set. So she's on first yeah. name terms. You, you tell Chris to get that prince back. I, and I was like, I will see what I can do. I will, I will ask for Freddie Stroma's return if I have that power, which I don't, but I'll ask. Oh my God, maybe we should ship <laughs> Penelope and the prince together. Oh, my mom does. <laughs> my mom does. Hugely. And I was like, I don't think Penelope, like no one wants to dance with Penelope. So I don't know why she would get a prince all of a sudden, but Sure. Yeah, she was like, he's lovely. He's a lovely fella. And then every every ball that happened, she said, and do you get a dance at this one? And I said, no. I said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then we get one dance in the whole season. Babes. I know. Look, maybe, Nightmare. Maybe next, next season we have Penelope like slut dropping around the balls. She'd oh, like, she's ready. I know. We need to get her drunk on some champagne and see. <laughs> <laughs> might loosen her up maybe <laughs> loosen her up loosen up those buttons oh my god they could do it to like the orchestral version of buttons by Pussycat yes. Dolls that'd be stunning I love that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Shonda Rhimes if you're listening can you please make this happen for us thanks very much yeah my mum would like more Prince Friedrich content that's what we're all about and she would like me to dance more <laughs> those are her two requests what's so amazing I think this is what's so amazing about you um, from knowing and talking to you many times about your rise to the screen basically is like you've been on like we're not using the x-factor term journey here but you have yeah. been on a journey to get to this point haven't mm. you there's been the highs the lows and we picked up a bit about this on in the previous part of the episode mm -hmm. but how how has that been for you that story of literally you know the rejections you're going forwards and backwards what what has that story been like for you i mean you know what i think if you talked to me like 10 years ago, what was I doing 10 years ago? Jeez, I was in between, I was applying back to drama school again. Mm. And I mean, that's why, I, you know, I said to you earlier, I never want to understate the amount of rejection that happens because it's not like you face it at the beginning of your career and then it completely ends and then everything's wonderful and you're just constant award ceremonies. Like, <laughs> it's so not that in any way. Yeah. Um, But you know it was it was really hard and I think it's funny because looking back now I wouldn't change anything no. whereas at the time when you're very miserable and you're struggling and you know your dream seems you sometimes feel ashamed of your dream in a way because you go it's so pie in the sky mm. it's so like I didn't know a single person who was an actor growing up I was like that doesn't seem like a realistic career these are people on the telly but I don't know them and could I be one of them and what makes me think I could so it, it, it is sort of embarrassing sometimes to go yeah that that's what I want to do I want to be one of those people but I think yeah it, as you said it's a journey it's not like you reach the final destination you're like well I've got this show now I've made it it's like just a constant ongoing thing and I mean I still have that fear that I'm gonna you know everything will finish and nothing will happen and I think but the fear is probably a very good motivator <laughs> to work hard you know maybe I, I should just always keep a little bit of fear in me mm. in those times when you had the kind of like downturns you know mm -hmm. when you were reapplying to drama school yeah and 
we spoke before about when you had to move back to Ireland yeah, because you yeah. were like in that situation, you went mm-hmm. back to working in retail and then you then had this amazing break and you mm-hmm. took yourself to London, auditioned for the play and then you literally, then that was the trajectory for you, wasn't it, from there? But then even in that trajectory, there's so many ups and downs in that trajectory, right? Completely. I think it's very easy to tell your story, quote unquote, and make it just seem like, and then it was this and this and this, and then it was all fine and wonderful. But that wasn't the case. Like, I think I felt like a huge failure a lot of the time. Um, Moving to London at first, I felt like it just swallowed me up. I just couldn't Mm. manage it. I was like, well, clearly I can't live here. And, you know, you have to be super tough to live in London. And I haven't made a success. And, you know, I'm just working in retail. I'm not being an actor. This is rubbish. And I'm really broke. And I can't afford to hang out with my friends. This is not what I wanted to do. Mm. Because you've already gone through that, you know, applying to drama school. And that's so difficult. And there's so much rejection. And financially, that's difficult too. Mm. You know, because I had to fly over and pay for all the auditions and accommodation and all that stuff. That's not easy to put that money together. Um, but then yeah having to leave London that time I felt like such a failure I felt awful Mm. I felt like the lowest of the low and when you move back in with your parents you know I think I was 28 at the time I thought wow I am nothing I'm just absolutely nothing I can't believe and then you feel silly for you know wanting to do a career like that and I thought you know I have an English degree I could have just gone and done something sensible and you know, I have no money to my name. I can't afford to go get a coffee. I'm not a proper adult. I'm not, you know, mm. it's awful because I think in um, times like that, your your brain can be very cruel and it can sort of be, you can be your own worst enemy. Like, what's the good in telling yourself you're a loser? What's the good in being hard on yourself? There's no good in it. Very easy to say that now out of it, but at the time you can really beat yourself up. But I mean, that's one of the things that I'm sort of, proudest of in my life is that I was able to get out of that mind frame and that time and it was really slow it wasn't like I woke up one day and felt better but it was just lots of little things like I think I'm very lucky to have such a caring family and that are so supportive and that my sister that was like get out of bed we're doing this thing we're doing this and but I think it now it makes me crazy grateful for getting to do what I get to do like I arrive on set and I just am mm. like, Jesus, I'm so lucky. I'm so so lucky. And you should like you should be proud of yourself about because I think in so I was thinking about this today actually because I was thinking about your story and what you've been through and like at times when I felt like a failure personally, it feels quite lonely. Like it can be the most isolating yeah, yeah. thing when you feel like a failure, doesn't it? What have those kind of periods taught you about the concept of loneliness and what being alone versus loneliness is? Oh gosh, I think, yeah, I totally feel that too. And I think I definitely had times where I was like, why would anyone want to hang out with me? I'm boring. I have nothing to say. I, you know, I'm not worth being around. And it's just like, you have to try and find the strength from somewhere to say that's not true. That's not true. And it's like, you know, to just reach out to people and it's okay. I think some people feel like, and I think I have the shame in saying you're lonely, whereas there shouldn't be. There's nothing wrong with saying mm. I need people around and I need, I think it's just, yeah, again, it's another lie that your brain can tell you that you're like, oh, don't, don't tell anyone that you, you need someone. Don't tell anyone you're lonely. Don't, you know, when I first moved to London, I was terribly lonely. And I think that's why now if I go on a job or even go on a shoot or something, I just want to meet people and talk to them because, you know, it's other human beings that will help you out of that and help like that human connection is so vital 
And I think we found it this year as well because we have been so isolated that we just need to to reach out. And it's also, loneliness can be a really common thing. You'd be surprised at the people that you know that have suffered through it. And it's nothing to suffer through because we should we shouldn't be ashamed of it. Oh my God, we should never be ashamed of it. Like I had like, when I mm. was in the first lockdown last year, I was like living on my own for like 12 weeks. And it was like, you have the moment when God. you're like, yeah, I'm going to do all the Zoom calls. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then you have these moments of like crippling loneliness and you feel really bad about it. But you're like, why do you feel bad about being lonely? Like, it's just acknowledgement that you need people and that's okay too, right? Like it's- 100%. It's, I don't know why loneliness becomes such like a derogatory term and then it becomes something you take on it becomes such a negative for you right like I don't understand it in your no, mind how your mind does that it's so bizarre it's it, it it's really really strange and I always will say to people you shouldn't ever feel bad about that like we need mm. one another that's okay like human beings are pack animals that's that's all right to say that you need mm. someone do you think given all those ups and downs we've just spoken about do you think you wear your crown with pride now, sitting here today, Nicola? Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know. It's a funny thing. I think wearing a crown feels like such a big thing because I think I'm, it might sound totally contradictory, but I think I'm not actually someone who is super comfortable being the centre of attention in a way, if that makes sense. Um, mm. I think... Because my, if I think back to when I was very little, for example, I think it was more so I loved to create and then show it off what I'd made and what I wanted to do. But then I would very happily retreat and be by myself. Um, mm. So I don't think it comes from me being like, da, 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 like here I am. <laughs> but I personally think you should wear that crown with proud, honey. Like you should. Okay. You should be proud of yourself. And Thank you should you. be polishing up that crown morning, noon and night. <laughs> Make sure it's glittery okay. and shiny. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> we finish every episode with a couple of big questions, babe. So, are you ready for some big okay. crown jewel questions? I am ready. <laughs> Let's do it. So, time that time when you look back now that seemed like a negative, but in now looking at it, it seems like a positive. Ooh. I always say to people, like, like breakups can be really, really tough, but I've never. If I ever look back in any breakup I ever had now, I do think, thank God. Because I think, you know, you're so much better on your own and happy than, mm. you know, with someone that can drag you down, even if you don't realize it at the time. So I definitely look back on situations in the past where I thought I was happy or wanted to stay in this. And now I look back and go, thank God. Oh my <laughs> God. Thank God I'm where I am now and not in that situation anymore. Wouldn't have felt at the time, but I do now very much. That's one of those things though, where you're like, that's the best part of the breakup when you're like oh, oh my, my god thank god i'm out of this situation. i know that's the one time i wish i had a time machine you could go back if you're ever really sad and go no 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 this is good this is very good i promise you this is very good <laughs> i love that and finally nicola yes in the reign of your life what is the one rule you will always live by oh so I remember my mum, it's just a Shakespeare quote that I always butcher. It's from Hamlet, but it's to thine own self be true. I think you have to know who you are, know what you stand for and know what your journey is without, you know, compromising yourself. 
and stay true to who you are as a person and just yeah I feel like it encapsulates a lot of things but yeah just she said it to me when I was like a teenager but it just always stuck with me and and apologies to Mr. Shakespeare have I butchered your quote (laughs) he may be a listener Uh, so I just need to cover that (laughs) Will's Bay is mega sorry if we butchered your quote mega (laughs) sauce well babe it's been honestly every Mm. time I speak to you it's just it's just like radiant joy like I could listen to you forever and I just think you're super special and just keep making it rain and I just love ya I love you. You're so lovely. Thank you, babe. Thank you, babe. Lots of love. Thank you so much for listening, babes. I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I have, and you're going to take so much away from it. And if you haven't already subscribed, make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts from so you'll know which amazing queen is joining me next time. And make sure you share this around your friends and get those conversations going because we need each other more now than ever before. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook and audiobook read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.